The Daily Tap is live for Wednesday. We will look back on the Bucks' big win over the Philadelphia 76ers. Do a little golden kegs at the end of that. Also, we will talk about the takeaways from the comments made by Brian Gunacoust and Matt Lafleur at the annual coaches meeting. We'll talk also, too, about the overtime rule, since everybody has to have an opinion on that. We'll give ours. And then lastly, we'll do the Wisconsin Shotsky, which is basically a quick hitter of three different topics that are going on in the Wisconsin sports world. One isn't uh, sports, but it's sports adjacent. It's a personal story. Consider it like a Chuck's Corner meets Wisconsin Shotsky sort of thing. Um, So we'll have that for our show today. Um, Make sure you're following us on social media. It was a good day. If you saw the review, a lot of good feedback from the review. I'm glad people enjoyed it. I was fired up after the Bucks win. Uh, That can be found on Tapping the Keg uh, on Twitter. It can also be found on Tapping the Keg Sports on Instagram or TikTok. Uh, We also are on Facebook, Tapping the Keg Sports there as well. Um, But Facebook, probably the one where we don't put as much content Um, as we do on the others. So hopefully you're following there. Um, But I do appreciate a Facebook follow as well. Uh, Rate, review, subscribe. If you're new to the program, maybe you saw the review, maybe you're hopping on for the first time, welcome to the program. Um, Hopefully you are subscribing, whether it be Apple, whether it be Spotify, whether it be anything else. And if you're already subscribed, leave us a great review. I'd appreciate that. Or just a rating in general. Uh, It takes like two seconds. I think you guys can do it. All right, let's talk about the Milwaukee Bucks. So Milwaukee Bucks took on the Philadelphia 76ers. This game had a lot of meaning to it. It meant a whole hell of a lot to a variety of teams. It meant a lot to the or teams, players, everything. It, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks, what was at stake was having a tiebreaker with Philadelphia, trying to move up in the seedings and make sure that if Philly and them were tied at the end of the year, that the Bucks had the tiebreaker, which could really matter if both teams finish like let's say the two and the three seed. That's the difference between hosting game seven at home in the divisional round if you meet Philadelphia or going to Philly for a game seven. That's the difference right there. It also meant a ton to Giannis Antetokounmpo. Giannis Antetokounmpo is battling an MVP with Joel Embiid. Even though Giannis does not care about the MVP, he said it enough, he doesn't even know who's in the MVP race. Giannis wants to give it to Embiid tonight to kind of know who is the cock on the block. And that was Giannis Antetokounmpo. And that was the Milwaukee Bucks. And the Milwaukee Bucks were victorious 118 to 116 after an incredible block by Giannis Antetokounmpo uh, to finish off the game. It felt like playoff-based basketball. It was as intense as it could get down the stretch for the Bucks. And it was one of the better games of the season. And to have that one in your back pocket tells you everything you need to know about this Milwaukee Bucks team and where they are going and why they are the top team in the Eastern Conference, no matter the seed. Giannis Antetokounmpo was otherworldly last night. 40 points, 14 rebounds, 6 assists, 3 blocks. Giannis looked like the MVP. Um, Whether he's going to win the MVP or not is irrelevant. I know that he is the MVP of this season. Lisa Byington on the broadcast was calling him Milwaukee's MVP. She's right. He is unquestionably Milwaukee's MVP. It's sad that we already have voter fatigue with Giannis Antetokounmpo. He's only age 27. You'd think that we'd at least get to, to 30 before people are like, yeah, I'm sick of voting for this guy. Giannis was incredible last night. It was a head-to-head matchup. I think there are always as recent 
recency bias with this stuff. I think that is going to matter in the grand scheme of things. The fact that Giannis put the team on his back, scored 15 straight points at one point, and really took over this basketball game and basically absolved the Philly eight-point lead. At one point, Philly had led 14 in the second half. It was like, are the Bucs going to get blown out here? And Giannis didn't let it happen. The Bucs were kind of sloppy. And all of a sudden, Antetokounmpo righted the ship by basically abusing Paul Millsap for every minute that Paul was in there. Paul Millsap... I would just retire. Like, I wouldn't even try to come back because Giannis Antetokounmpo absolutely owned his ass. And that was a huge part of this game. Doc Rivers refused to bring his starters in even as the Bucks are getting hot. I realize that Embiid is kind of on a weird pitch count. There are certain restrictions and everything like that. They kind of need to break those. It feels a lot similar to what Mike Budenholzer did before the Bucks won a championship. At some point, Mike said, fuck the rules, and it led to the Bucks coming back against Brooklyn, led to the Bucks beating Atlanta, and led to Milwaukee winning the championship, ultimately. Doc Rivers does need to throw out some of the conventional stuff they do with Embiid and just take the risk. And I know that that is hard for them to think about because Embiid has so many injury issues, but at some point, you have to pull off the restrictor plate. And this was a game to do it. And they didn't. And Milwaukee made sure that they had moments without Embiid and Harden. And they took full advantage of it with all their guys. Whether it was Giannis, whether it was Chris Middleton, whether it was a little bit of Brooke Lopez. Drew Holiday got hot in the fourth quarter. I think they all kind of, I wouldn't even say it was a switch flip. It was just the fourth quarter bucks and what we've seen all season. And I feel like good coaches and good coaching staffs would realize that the Milwaukee Bucks try to pound you into the ground in the early part of the fourth quarter and make it into their game. And that's exactly what Milwaukee did. They've been doing it all throughout the second half of the season where if they are close, if they are in striking distance, which I think I would put at about 10 points, maybe 12 points to the opposition with like three minutes to go in the fourth, third quarter, if the Bucks are right there, they're going to be able to sort of flip that switch and turn it on and make sure that you are basically playing the Bucks game by seven or six minutes to go in the fourth quarter and the game is probably close or the Milwaukee Bucks lead. This game told me everything I needed to know about it being playoff basketball. I told you guys that on Monday. You can go listen to that podcast. And I said, this is the start of the playoffs. And I have every indication that it is the start of the playoffs. They had a full roster last night. They had nobody resting. Nobody was sitting. I think you're going to see the same thing against the Nets on, on Thursday night. And then I think they'll they'll kind of rest their guys against the Clippers and Dallas because both those games don't matter as much. There's no tiebreakers at stake. There's no seeding. There is seeding, yes, but it's not as important of games. And the tiebreaker with the Western Conference is, I believe, the second tiebreaker. So it's, or third, actually, if you go head-to-head, then you look at division, or I'm sorry, you look at conference, and then you look at Western Conference. So it doesn't matter as much. I realize they're on ABC. I realize that should carry some weight. I realize that there will be a good crowd there for a noon start against the Mavericks on Sunday. But at the same time, I'm not like opposed to Giannis sitting one of those games. I'm not opposed to Middleton taking a seat. I'm not opposed to Holiday taking a seat. The way they did it the last time, I think 
really matters. And I think the Clippers are going to be very hungry to try to win, even though it's an outside shot they could get the seventh seed and host the Timberwolves. Uh, the Clippers bring Paul George back, and they were awesome. They kind of figured out how to play with Paul George. Paul George had 33 points in the first game after a UCL tear, which is basically a Tommy John surgery for baseball players. Absolutely incredible performance from Paul George. And I guess there are rumblings that Kawhi might come back too. I mean, it's it's really kind of weird with the Clippers, right? All of a sudden, the Clippers look like they could be a unit. They were terrible the last five games, and then the George return kind of gave them a jolt, even though they were down early. And yet again, they did to Utah what they did last season, where they were able to come back from an insurmountable point differential and win the game. Uh, it's it's really a sight to see for for the Clippers, and they've they've been really special. Uh, it, in those sort of, we're down by a ton of points when we can come back. It's never over with the Clippers. I think that might be their fourth or fifth 20-point comeback. But going back to the Bucks, they are going to make sure that A, they are playoff ready, but also that they are going to be well-rested. So the Clippers and Dallas thing makes sense. Then you play Chicago, who is in a free fall. I know they beat Washington last night, but you still kind of want to keep beating Chicago. I think you could rest guys there. And then you have Boston on Thursday, and that's sort of the last game that really truly matters because it basically comes down to then another tiebreaker situation where if Boston wins that game, they have the tiebreaker. If the Bucks win, it's 2-2, so then it goes to division. I have to look and see what the Bucks and Celtics have done with the division, but I do think that it's going to it's going to be very interesting to see how Mike Boonholzer manages this down the stretch. One adjustment Bud did make during this game was that he put Wes Matthews into the starting lineup. So Wes Matthews became the starter. Grayson Allen went to the bench. Grayson Allen did well on the bench. He had 10 points. He had four rebounds. He looked really good as part of that second unit. And Wes Matthews, I don't know if he, I would say he looked great. I mean, Wes was assigned to, you know, Harden and Maxi, and Maxi had, was a complete ghost. Like, Maxi did absolutely nothing for all the hype. That I have heard around Tyrese Maxey, he was a non-factor for that team um, last night. And so I think that is credit to Holiday. I think that's credit to Matthews, uh, the bench guys as well. But it was very interesting that Matthews was inserted as more of like a P.J. Tucker-like guy for this team. It'll be interesting to see if that's how they approach Brooklyn. I assume they will with Durant. I think that's going to be the case. But it'll be interesting to see if we see that with Chicago, if we see that with Boston. Remember, Matthews and Brooke were in the lineup against Chicago and they absolutely shut down the Bulls. The Bulls were under 100 points. It was a really great defensive game. They looked awesome in that first quarter against the Bulls and they really never looked back. So it seems like Wes Matthews is going to be that starter, at least at least for the time being. I don't know if it's going to change lineup to lineup or if it's just going to be that's sort of the Bucks lineup for the rest of the way. Matthews, I don't was he part of the closing time lineup? I, I think he was, but they are, you know, they really it really seems like you you only notice the four guys, not the fifth. No, Matthews was. I think he had a nice defensive play uh, late on Harden. So I, I think that, yeah, I'm comfortable with what they're doing right now. I know some Bucks fans have a little trepidation with with Matthews because of his offensive output, but 
I think if you can get eight to nine points for Matthews a game, I think it's gravy. I think that's house money. He only had five last night, but I think he's really there for his defense, and that's really what you're asking him to do, not necessarily fill up the tent. Before I do the golden kegs real quick, um, just a thought on the Sixers. I, I'm not scared of Philly. Like We'll probably do like our who intimidates us the most with the tapping the keg and Mitch this week about like if we're ranking you know the teams we're facing in the east the teams in the west i think we'll kind of do like a draft of bucks opponents and who who we'd most likely want to play and then who would we least likely want to play i think that would be an awesome segment i would probably pick philly i would say near the top i wouldn't say it's the tippy top there are some teams that are obvious like 401 series like the bulls or, or the calves but i do think that you could put the Philadelphia 76ers pretty high up there. I don't really believe in this team. I think this team's too slow, which is crazy. I don't, I can't really remember an NBA team recently that is like too slow. But they do not have any burners on their team. They don't have any team that can run and run up and down the court. Kevin Durant, who's a basketball savant who knows more basketball than I ever will. You know, said after that game when they beat the, the Sixers' ass, he goes, we can run on these guys. We can absolutely run on these guys. And that's what Brooklyn wants to do. Like, Brooklyn got into a shootout with the fucking Pistons. And now the Pistons have been really good, by the way. 15-2-2 two two against the spread. Been really good when it comes to gambling on them. I invested last night on the Pistons as well. But the fact is, is... You should be giving up 123 points to a Pistons team. Like, that just shouldn't be, be happening. Yet, they cannot stop a fucking sneeze. And I've been saying that forever. Um, it bears repeating. I think the over-under for Nets Bucks on Thursday is going to be like 245. It's going to be crazy. Because that's the only way the Nets can win is by outscoring their opposition. And I'll be very curious to see how they're able to kind of stop Durant. Or if they do what we talked about where... They basically build a wall and say, all right, Durant, you can beat us, but we're going to basically shut down all your other resources. So go off, King, have your day. We're going to shut everything off. So I look at Philly and I'm like, they're too slow for a seven-game series. They're going to wear down. And I think they can maybe get out of the first, but I don't know. I have some real questions. If they're in a fight, if they play Toronto in the first round and go six games, seven games with the Raptors, and then they have to go place Milwaukee in the second round. I'm going to look at that and say, well, I don't know if this Philly team is conditioned enough to keep up. And that is a, that's been a worry about Embiid. And even though Embiid has got himself into good shape, even though he's not the doughboy that he used to be, he, he still isn't fleet of foot. And James Harden is a slow guard. And so with the combination of those two, then you have Danny Green's course, Tobias Harris, another slow guy, you can just run on this team, and I think that's really not sustainable for the playoffs. I don't know how they muck it up to basically be first 100 wins. I don't think they're that good defensively. They have Thibault, but that's kind of it. So I look at the Sixers as a non-threat. They're a threat because of Embiid and, and, and Harden, yes. But it's hard for me to look at that team and say they are a finals team. I don't I don't buy it for one bit. As for the Bucks. They look like the best. They've they've looked like the best for a while. The switch flipped at that Charlotte game uh, at the end of February, and it's been there ever since. People are kind of finally waking up to it. Um, the national media is not wanting to admit it. Uh, Mike Greenberg had a cute comment about, 
if Kyrie didn't get hurt, they would have swept the Bucks. Little did Greeny know? Uh, NBA top guy. Remember, he does the he's the lead, you know, kind of point guard for the NBA coverage on NBC. He wants to be fucking Costas, and they didn't even have a chance to sweep us because we won in Game Three. So even if Kyrie would have stayed healthy, who knows what happens a in that game? And B, who knows what happens the rest of the series? It's just unpredictable. It could never, could never have been predicted. And yet Greenberg is convinced that the Nets would have won that series. Everybody, everybody has an excuse for why the Bucks won against the Nets and why the Bucks won against the Hawks and why the Bucks won against the Suns. It's all fucking bullshit. It's just national media hate over a small market team. But I gotta tell you, you better get used to this Bucks team because they aren't leaving. They aren't just going away. They're not a flash in a pan. So the more you embrace the Bucks, the more you start talking about Giannis Antetokounmpo, the more you build up his superstardom, the better your brand's going to be. I give Fox Sports 1 a ton of credit. They're not a t- place you'd look at NBA, but I, I think some of the smartest takes I've heard from kind of the take industry have been from guys like Kevin Wilds and Nick Wright. I think those guys understand it. Those guys get it. I just wish the rest of the national media would apply the same approach as Wilds and Wright. Bucks are going to be a, a, just a monster. I think they're going to be a really tough out. And I'm going to love to see who can challenge them come playoff time. Really quick on the Golden Kegs. For those who are unfamiliar, trying to get this back up and running. Golden Kegs are basically the three biggest things and the three biggest players, performances that happened in the Bucks games. We're going to do it for the Brewers as well. Um, it's a great way to recap the game when maybe you don't have a ton to talk about. Today is a little different because there's a lot to go over with this Bucks Sixers game. But if it's a random, you know, Brewers game against the fucking Reds, that's a way to do it. Talk a little bit about performance-based stuff and not necessarily have like a big overarching topic. Three kegs for me today. Uh, number one, obviously, three, three kegs. So best one. Giannis Antetokounmpo, 100%. There's no way you can't look at Giannis' performance and not put him at the top of the list. It was an MVP-like performance. It was Giannis submitting his tape for the voters, uh, as you see with like Emmys, right? How they do with the Emmys, for those unfamiliar, is basically they take one episode that they're great in, whatever the actor, actresses, whenever they're great in, the network takes that tape and they submit that to the, the people who vote for the Emmys. This would be the tape that I would take for Giannis Antetokounmpo to submit to the voters to vote for MVP. Two kegs. I got to give it to Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez combined. Their fourth quarter efforts should not get lost in the shuffle. They, Giannis had to come out for a breather. It actually kind of looked like Giannis was hurt because he got that hard foul from Danny Green, which, by the way, way more dirty than Grayson Allen. I, I will never stop going in on flagrant fouls that are worse than Grayson Allen. Danny Green's 100% worse than Grayson Allen. But Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez really picked up Giannis in the fourth quarter in the fact that Giannis was out not playing and they needed to kind of steady the tides. They needed to keep kind of that run going. And it was just Middleton and Lopez. And they ran a really nice pick and roll stuff. They were hunting, you know, the, the matchups. And I thought it was a really fun combination that I don't think we see a lot of. Like, I don't think you put Chris Middleton and Brooke together. Brooke and Drew have a nice relationship, but I've not really seen it with Chris and Brooke. And so it was it was deserves a lot of credit. Brooke had his best offensive game in this one with 17 points. He was very effective. I had a bad turnover at the end. Also, I'm not great when it came to closing out on Embiid and threes, uh, but that's okay. 
Um, I again, it's a two keg. It's you know, it's the okay. It's your maybe your Coors Light. Like your three kegs is going to be your keg of zombie dust. Your two kegs is going to be your Coors Light. I wouldn't even call it Miller Light because to me, Miller Light could be a three kegger. Like I can I can enjoy a keg of Miller Light with the best of them. But two kegs, your Coors. Maybe I wouldn't go as far as Keystone. I, I think Keystone's a one keg, right? Uh, you'll drink it; it's good, but it's not like it's not the best ever. So, speaking of one kegs, I'll give it to Drew Holiday's defense. I thought what Drew did in the fourth quarter was incredible. The fact that Drew was taking on Embiid multiple times and it didn't matter, and Embiid tried to back him down, and Drew was like, "Nah, nah, not today." Um, is incredible for a guard, and they forced a big turnover on Embiid. Uh, the combination of Holiday and Middleton. Holiday is just incredible, man. I realize Harden got 32 tonight. That's fine. I'm glad James Harden showed up finally for a big game. Uh, but a Holiday's defense is always something to marvel at, especially in the fourth quarter. It was it was extra good for the Milwaukee Bucks in that fourth quarter. All right, and those are your golden kegs. Um, if you have other ones, hit me up on Twitter, hit me up on Instagram. We'll get this posted as part of our promotion of the podcast let's move on to the green bay packers um, we have a lot actually from football we have the overtime rules too which i want to cover but i want to talk about the packers first because lafleur and brian gunacus met with the media uh, they were in west palm beach at the annual coaches meeting a friend of a friend of the program actually identified matt lafleur as cal shanahan which i thought was pretty funny uh, Fleur laughed it off, I, which it makes sense. I can see the sem- the similarity, but I think like Lafleur actually is a better looking guy. Like if we're we're talking about who kind of looks better, it's Lafleur. Like Shanahan kind of seems like that Silicon Valley nerd. Like he had his uh, his collared shirt buttoned all the way up. Like I don't know, just fucking try hard, man. I don't know. I, I I'm Team Lafleur there. Maybe it's my external hate for for Shanahan. I don't even hate Shanahan. I think Shanahan's smart, but I do think people suck his dick like he is fucking Johnny Sins or something. All right, so to to get back to the takeaways from both Lafleur and Gutekust, uh, starting with receiver, Lafleur says he kind of wants a speed receiver that will take the top off. Um, that's interesting, right? They obviously had interest in bringing back MVS. I think the contract was way too much. It's a three-year, $36 million deal with the Kansas City Chiefs. That was too much money for MVS, all right? I understand why the Chiefs had to pay MVS that money. But to me, that contract never made sense for the, for the Packers. And if I'm the Packers, I look at this and I say, all right, does that mean they're going to draft some guy that has burner speed in the draft? Does that mean they're going to go look at a Garrett Wilson and try to trade up? Does that mean they're going to look at Chris Olave and that's sort of their answer? Chris Olave is going to be their guy. Um, I don't know. That remains to be seen because I think you can interpret it in a lot of ways. It could mean that you're trying to trade for a guy that's a little bit more of a burner. I saw some people say Deshaun Jackson. I'm like, guys, Deshaun, Deshaun is way past his prime. Deshaun is jerky at this point. If Deshaun used to be like a good cut of beef, he's fucking jerky. Like just, you know, take Deshaun out back. Like it's done, all right? No no need to kind of go back to the Deshaun Jackson well. Uh, But I do think they could bring bring in a speed receiver in the draft or somebody who maybe is not, you know, John Ross, right? Like my friends and I have this longstanding joke about John Ross it's a big time inside joke, so it's not worth getting into explaining it. 
But, like, John Ross would be an interesting option. I mean, the guy was a absolute speed demon. I'm not saying that they're going to immediately be a Super Bowl contender with John Ross, but it's a guy that you could add into the mix. I think if the Packers could, we'll see with what they have from a manipulation of the cap, if they could figure out a way to kind of do what we've seen the Bucks do, where they, they bring in three or four guys and they say, all right, who can perform, who can't? Is there a gem in here? Is there not? And then, you know, maybe we cut bait and we move on. I don't know. I don't think football kind of works that way, but it would be very interesting to see if the Packers try something similar. The Alave piece, I think, is really interesting. I'm not trying to get my hopes up about wide receiver. I'm really trying hard to just stay the course. But I will say with Alave, he's a guy that I have always been fond of watching a lot of Big Ten football. He's a guy that I felt like was ready from day one. Kind of like what we've seen from Justin Jefferson, what we saw from Jamar Chase, even like a T. Higgins for that matter in his first year. Um, I think you can get something similar out of Chris Olave. So we'll be curious. I'll be curious to see if Green Bay does in fact go after him or if they look elsewhere when it comes to receivers. Jameson Williams, another guy who could take the top off, uh, definitely worth consideration at 28. Uh, you do have to wait a year for Williams, likely, with that ACL tear. I don't know if the Packers have that time with the Aaron Rodgers window being ever so small. Speaking also about receivers, uh, LaFleur commented that there are always going to be opportunities. Some unforeseen things will transpire. So that was really interesting from LaFleur. Like That was really interesting for him to kind of you know make the case that we could look at potentially having a, a different option for for Green Bay. Like, it might not just be through the draft. It might be a trade. It might be the fact that in June 1st, there are cap casualties where somebody gets released. I The Mike Thomas thing, man, I swear no one's talking about it. Only like my group chat is talking about the potential of Mike Thomas potentially being an option for, for the Green Bay Packers. I really do think that that could be on the table. And maybe that's something LaFleur is getting to. You know, maybe you hear that the Packers have traded their second round, you know, their second round pick from this year and their second round pick for next year for Mike Thomas. Like, would that surprise anybody? I think it would surprise a lot of, you know, people who might not be in the know, but I could really see that being an option. Um, I, I, I could. And I think the DK smoke is kind of too much at this point. I think it's kind of over and done with. I'd be really surprised if they traded DK Metcalf. I said that last week. I I feel the same way. Even if you're rebuilding, even if you're retooling, DK is on a pretty affordable contract this year. You can likely pay him next year. You could even pay him this year and say, hey, we want you part of this. Here's our plan. We're going to probably draft a quarterback next year. The quarterback draft is great. We'll hopefully have one down year, and then we'll really start retooling with a, a quarterback on a rookie contract. I don't know. I just don't see it with with DK. As for comments made by Brian Gunacoust, he sees Jair playing all over the field um, and taking on the top receiver each week. I love this. I love the fact that the Packers are going to basically use Jair Alexander as a rover. So Jair Alexander is not really going to play a defined cornerback position. It's going to basically be, okay, Justin Jefferson's across from you. You're taking on Justin Jefferson. Chris Godwin or Mike Evans is there on the other side. You're taking that guy. And then basically they allow Rasul Douglas and Eric Stokes to keep it covered on the corner, on the, on the outside. 
So that's what Douglas and Stokes will provide, and they will basically shut everything down. To me, that says everything I need to know about how good this Packers defense can be from a pass defense perspective. I think they're going to be a real bitch to pass against. I realize that a lot of people were down on the seasons Adams or Amos, excuse me, and Savage had, but I, I don't know. I didn't really see it as much with Amos. I guess there were moments with Savage, but I wasn't as like these guys have bad seasons. I've seen that a couple by a couple people, and I just I don't know if I agree wholeheartedly that they had bad seasons. But I, I really do think the secondary could be the best in football. I do. I, I think that's as good as as good as it can get as long as they stay healthy. And I wouldn't be opposed to bringing Kevin King back. I just want it on the record. Kevin King as a dime corner was really good. Um, now, could they find somebody in the draft? Could they look at, you know, Shamar Jean Charles, who was more of a special teams guy for them last year? Sure. They did also sign, I forget his first name. Uh, his last name is Nixon. Things like Keyshawn or Keyshawn Nixon uh, from the Oakland Raiders, who was a special teams guy for Rich Pasicchia, uh, also Snoop's nephew, Snoop Dogg's nephew. So it, it'll be interesting to see if Nixon actually gets time on the field or if he's just a special teams guy, because that could potentially be your dime corner as well. Brian Gutekus also explained why a decision was made at punter, uh, that they looked for more consistency and a guy who held better. Uh, it's clear that Mason Crosby and Corey Barorquez did not have a good working relationship. It's clear that those guys could never really get on the same page. And so because of that, they basically decided to move on. And Borquez could not punt in the cold. And I think to be a punter for the Green Bay Packers and really any team that's playing in sub 30, 30 degree weather, you need to be good in punting in the cold. And Borquez couldn't do that. So I don't know how Borquez sells himself as a south of the border punter, maybe. I don't know. It's going to be hard. Uh, but yeah, and, and also too, I think there was some friction, I think, between Crosby and Bewarquist. Now, no word yet on if Crosby is coming back. He has a pretty intense salary. They haven't also had anything that he's retiring. I would prefer them to move on from Mason. I realize that that might cause a lot of sensitivity in the Packer organization and maybe even with Aaron Rodgers. But I, I don't know, man. It's hard for me to see Crosby have anything left in the tank. I would prefer to bring Big Dog back over Crosby. If, if we're we're going with which old guy do you want back and you know which Aaron's, which one of Aaron's buddies do you want back, I'd vote Big Dog 10 times out of 10 over a guy like Mason Crosby. Let's move on to the Wisconsin Shotsky. Uh, so we do this, I think, kind of once a week, um, kind of been in the flow of, you know, kind of picking a few topics that are on our minds um, that are not necessarily... Um, like worth a full five or 10 minutes, but it can kind of be its own thing wrapped up into one. And it's a shot ski because you have the three topics, three shots on a shot ski, very popular uh, in German culture. Uh, and you usually see it at, at a fair amount of bars. Um, so let's begin with the number one, which is the Green Bay Packers will be hosting Man City versus Bayern Munich. Uh, in late July, uh, the game will be played at Lambeau Field uh, per Kyle Cousineau. Uh, Kyle Cousineau has been known by the Big Jays as a local legend, guy that keeps his ear to the streets, has has the ear of the streets, I probably should say better. Uh, this game will be an exhibition. Uh, Lambeau cannot necessarily be a fully regulation soccer field. Uh, it's a little too small, which is interesting. Uh, given Lambeau's size, you'd think that they'd be able to fit a soccer field in there. They can't. 
Uh, so it won't be necessarily a full-on uh, soccer experience for both the Man City team and the Bayern Munich team. I really hope they bring a lot of their stars. I feel like this is should be a star-studded event. I think with some of these international friendlies, it doesn't necessarily bring out the big guns, shall we say. It doesn't bring out the Robert Lewandowskis. It doesn't bring out the Sergio Aguara or the Kevin De Bruyne. De Bruyne? Yeah, I think De Bruyne uh, from Man City. Uh, yeah, I, I'll be curious to see how many guys actually... You know, come for this. I hope it's. I hope it's big. Like, I hope it's a big deal. I think it's gonna do numbers from a tickets perspective. I have friends who are Bayern Munich fans, and they're fired up. Like, they're ready to go and be a part of it. I think it's a great time in sort of the sports calendar, right? Like, you're just getting out of the dog days of of baseball. Football hasn't started yet. Training camps like a week away. Um, you have no basketball at that point. You're just getting ready for the next season. You have the draft and free agency is cleared. So there's nothing to worry about besides this game. And I think it's being played on a Saturday, I want to say, or, or a Friday, which, again, adds the element of it gives the Milwaukee residents an ability to travel as well as the Madison residents. It's Saturday. So it's Saturday evening, the 23rd. Uh, definitely probably a party. I'm sure there will be people tailgating. I'm sure it will be loud and rowdy. So maybe the loudness and the rowdiness of the crowd will actually produce a pretty good soccer game. I think I, from a like, would I go? From an experience perspective, it's like probably a eight or nine out of 10, right? Just to see like how they set it up, all the fans fired up for it. You know, being in the crowd would be great. But from like, I need to see this game, I'm probably at like a one or a two. Like to me that this is not, it's not that big of a deal to be at this one. Like I would take Notre Dame against Wisconsin, which I think will happen now in 2025. I think it's going all, now, I don't know. I'd have to check that. Maybe it's 2024. But regardless, they're going to play in Lambeau, um, basically with the one that got canceled because of COVID. And that to me is like a 10 out of 10 like, I would want to be there. I think the experience would be great. I think there's just a lot to love about that. I don't really have the same feeling with this because it's an exhibition game. Because it's a game where the stars might not be out. There's no real meaning. Hopefully, you know, it means that it's a little more free-flowing. I guess the thing with Bayern, the only, like, if I'm arguing myself here, the only argument is, is Bayern plays such an open style of soccer where they're going to score goals. And they're going to have a lot, they should have a lot of goals in this game. Man City also kind of plays a little bit up tempo. They're not necessarily a plotting team. So you should really see like six to nine goals. And if you're seeing that many goals, then it's worth it. Like if you get at least three goals out of this, I think it's a worthwhile experience. We'll see what ticket prices are. I expect they're not going to be cheap. I would not, I would assume that they're going to be similarly priced to what you would get out of a Packer game. Um, but who knows? Maybe they're a little cheaper. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be an awesome scene. I think you're going to have a ton of fun. I think it's going to be a ton of fun, you know, in terms of the pre and post game stuff. Uh, and a little bit of a different crowd. Hopefully the grass stays all right. Packer, Packers are very sensitive about their grass. So I'm very curious as to the plan and place for the grass, which is extremely nerdy. Uh, only probably five people care about the grass, but I am one of those five. Corbin Burns named the opening day starter. Uh, very interesting there. I don't, not surprised, right? 
Brandon Woodruff's done it for the last two years. The opening day curse, which the Brewers fucking had forever, uh, where their opening day starter was just terrible that year. Uh, Willie Peralta comes to mind. Um, Kyle Loesch was one one year. Um, they, I think Giovanni Gallardo had an awful year as an opening day starter once. But I think Giovanni had multiple years being an opening day starter before that went off the rails. So Burns getting the nod, I think it makes a lot of sense. He, to me, is the ace at this point. Even though you could argue there are times where I feel like I trust Brandon Woodruff a little bit more, um, I think Corbin Burns is still that dude and should be the guy that pitches against the Cubs on the 7th. I would imagine Chicago will see Burns, Woodruff, Peralta, and then for the Baltimore series, I guess you go Hauser and Lauer, and then that's that's kind of your rotation. Uh, but we'll see if Aaron Ashby can challenge one of those or if they go with the six-man rotation to start the year. I think it's possible, right? You could potentially, and I don't know how Council wants to play it, but if you want to give Burns a little bit more rest because of the shortened spring training, you could have Ashby face the Orioles, and then Burns is your opening day starter for not only the Chicago series, but also the St. Louis series that's at American Family Field. So we'll see what he does there. I'm very curious to see if Council goes that direction. I'd also be curious if Council stacks it in a way where, I don't know, you're maybe not going Peralta as your third guy and you're looking at more Hauser or Lauer kind of to not necessarily stack everybody together. Craig Council likes to do funky shit, so I'm never going to assume that it's going to be the way that we expect it to be because that's that's not how Council does it, man. Uh, also, um, the last thing I have for the Shotsky and then we'll ride out. We need to help sports bars. Like, I don't know. So I was at a bar on Saturday with my wife. We were going specifically to watch Arkansas and Duke, and we were going to go watch the Bucks and the Grizzlies. Now, the Bucks didn't really play well. The game was kind of a blowout. But still, want to have it on. It's the NBA. Anyone can come back. You never know. Um, and at that time, you had where we sat. So part of it might have been on us because we had – one of the TVs was a women's volleyball matchup that a guy's girlfriend w- was being part of. So he went to go support his girlfriend. And it was on FS2, which must be a pretty good volleyball player if they're on, like, FS2. But at the same time, like, that's a that's kind of a, a, a real power move. Like, to be able to take away two TVs for fucking women's volleyball on a Saturday night when the Bucks and and... NCAA tournament going on like that just feels like a lot to me feels like that should be like an upstairs move now I realize a lot of these TVs are connected and that's pretty annoying to kind of have that you know be that to me is another bar issue that we could save for another time but the fact that you had that on and then there was an immediate switch like these guys close out once those guys close out the Bucks game should have been thrown on and yet we had to basically pull teeth to get the Bucks on now, by that point, the Bucks were getting their asses kicked. It didn't really matter. But I need sports bars to be better. Now, one of their TVs was out. I will give them that. I will say, okay, they were having some technical issues. That's fine. But at the but then they think they fixed it, and they still were showing fucking Chive TV. Who was watching Chive TV? Nobody, okay? Absolutely no one. Throw on something else, right? Throw on, I don't know, I, you know, maybe there's a replay of Arkansas Duke or Villanova Houston. Like, throw that on. If you're a sports bar, you should be committed to at least putting on your local teams on top of 
whatever big sporting event is going on. It's really not that hard. It's frankly, it's pretty easy. And when you promote that, like you have specials for the Bucks and things like that, and then you're not even showing the fucking game, that is a bad, bad look in my opinion. So sports bars need to get better holistic. Like they just need to get better. And I know some bars are really good at it and some bars are on top of it and understand like the sports calendar and other bars do not. And I don't know how to help those bars. Like I, I would love to be the person that'd be like, hey, here's what bars should be had on your TV. Here's what you should request if you're at the bar. I think I would say it's probably a 50-50 split. I'd love to know feedback from people who go out on a regular basis Saturday night, whether it's Milwaukee, whether it's the Burbs, whether it's, uh, you know, bumfuck Wisconsin. Do you actually see your sport, your teams on nights that are, you know, where it should be the Packers, not the Packers, because the Packers are always like their Packers are easy. Like that actually is another annoyance before I'm on my pedestal here where like, we'll, we'll, say fuck the Brewers, even though the Brewers are a good team to throw on Packer preseason. I had that happen at a bar that, over the summer. Like, that's that's absurdity. Like, who, who gives a fuck about Packer preseason? All right? Like, and, I, and some people can say, who cares about baseball? Fine. But the Brewers were a pennant race. Like, I, I want to watch the Brewers in, in August. Like, sorry, that's the time to watch baseball. If you say, oh, I don't care about baseball in April, May, June, I get it. Like if you have the Bucks on for a playoff game and you don't show the Brewers anywhere, I, I understand that. I honestly do. I do. I, I, I can that makes sense to me. But when you say, okay, I'm not gonna show the Brewers for Packer preseason, that's a bridge too far, in my opinion. But that's another soapbox for another time. All right, we need to go. All right, take care, guys. We'll be back tomorrow. I think we'll do tapping the keg. I've been really bad about connecting with Mitch on these. Um, so Mitch deserves every right to shame me for these. All right. Take care. Have a great day. We'll be back tomorrow. See you. Bye.